welcome to episode 35 of Girls Gone Canon, Elaine, a Feast for Crows 2 slash outro featuring the ever-wonderful Ashea from History of Westeros. I am Chloe, one of your hosts. You can find me on the internet as at Lies and Arbor or at www.liesandarborgold.com. And I'm Eliana, another one of your hosts, and you might know me as Glass Table Girl from the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, or the Mason Monthly Podcast, or as Arithmetric on Twitter. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, and as we said, Ashea, who is excellent, you know her from History of Westeros, from her blog on Tumblr. Uh, hello, Ashea. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me on to talk about Sansa here. I am a huge fan of her and of her chapters, and I believe you asked Aziz, and he told you as much, so I'm glad to be here. You can find me at History of Westeros, like you said, on Twitter, Facebook, etc. I'm at Miranese Not on Twitter, because when I joined Twitter, I didn't realize you wanted a short username. <laughs> I think it's so. fine. I think it's fine now with that that the character limit has been increased, but um, for a while it's a little tight to get me in there. <laughs> a short username, a long plot. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> hey, I'd say it's a pretty short version of the Miranese Not. To be fair, <laughs> and look at it's it's not like it's a five year long username, you know. <laughs> 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 I we'll touch on that later. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we did get a couple good emails or tweets a note uh actually this one is a patreon message we got a couple other podbean comments to eliana's delight uh but this patreon message intrigued me i have a few thoughts on it it's from our friend jeremy who wanted to know what we would do if we did alternate a song of ice and fire point of views for each book his extended alternate universe of a song of ice and fire is book one Waymar, Royce, Robert, Barristan, Rob, Jamie, Samwell, Jorah, Roderick, Gendry, Asha, and Brienne. Book two, he would use a Florent for a Dragonstone POV. Rob, Barristan, Jamie, Samwell, Jorah, Gendry, Asha, Brienne, Egret, Sandor, or, and Garland, and Mira. And then for the epilogue, he would have Maester Lewin. Book three, Storm of Swords, he would choose Rob. Barristan, Jamie, Samwell, Jorah, Gendry, Asha, Brienne, Egret, Sandor, Mira, Val, Garland, Marjorie, and Ariane. That is a big book with Peter Pimple as the epilogue. I like that change. And for Feast, the one that we're reading currently, he would choose Piat Pri for the prologue. Jamie, Samwell, Gendry, Asha, Brienne, Sandor, Marjorie, Garland, Maya Stone, Ariane, and Sorella. So Really interesting concept. I do like that. I know he said he was sharing it with a couple other podcasters, so I hope some friends in the community do take that on and talk about their alternate A Song of Ice and Fire point of views. I'm, for my sake, I guess I would only do it for a Game of Thrones to save time, but I would also like to respond to the message Jeremy sent as a follow-up in which he assumed I would choose Sandor as a point of view, which he's entirely 100% correct, so good call on that. Good job, Jeremy. I don't know. I would I would do maybe some alternates, but I think I'd still keep some of the main characters and just retract chapters for mystery, right? Like Ned, give him two to four chapters of, you know, certain things with Tower of Joy hints and uh, add in Jory for a few chapters and add in Robert and then add Jamie and add Sandor and give him a lot of chapters in King's Landing because he's seeing everything. I don't think that... 
I mean, Rob giving him some chapters would be good, but I wouldn't want to hear from him the whole entire first book or the second book even. I think Catalan is necessary because it provides a lot of depth that we really miss out on. And also they're the best chapters in the whole book. Just putting that out there that every book has Catalan Stark in it. Has some pretty good chapters. Uh, Viserys would be interesting to have a few chapters from. Drogo having a couple chapters would even be really interesting, but I'm interested to see how George would even translate that. Cutting Daenerys down to two chapters and Tyrion down to four and adding in Bronn would be a really interesting choice. Uh, cutting Jon Snow down and adding in some Sam Tarly chapters in the second half of the book. And giving Osha five chapters and cutting Bran to three chapters. I would cut down the Stark girls to a few chapters, maybe two to three each, just because of Sandor being added in and other King's Landing characters. And maybe even give Sirio a couple chapters. Yeah, I thought this was an interesting question, and I'm gonna... My answer is not as in-depth as Chloe's in terms of, like, how we are allocating the chapter number. I'm thinking more of it, like, holistically in terms of what I think A Song of Ice and Fire is doing. I think I would struggle with wanting to replace a bunch of the POVs that we get in the first book. I've discussed this on Joe Magician's a Patreon episode about bastards, cripples, and broken things. And I think that a lot of what book one is doing and a lot of the other POVs that we get throughout A Song of Ice and Fire are doing is that it's giving us a perspective into the POVs that don't necessarily always hold power. They're not the people who inhabit positions of being lord or king, those positions of privilege traditionally in Westeros. And that's what we get when we have the POVs of like second sons of someone like Tyrion or Sansa and Arya um, going up against the gender roles that they have. So I think I would keep a lot of those same POVs. I think having Gendry though would be interesting um, when it comes to adding like a Dothraki POV. I would opt not for Drogo, but perhaps one of Danny's handmaids. Mm, like Eerie. Yeah. I would opt for Eerie or Jiki, not um, what's the third one? Not the Lysini. I would not bring her because I would want something that was more in tune or in touch with the Dothraki culture. And in that same vein, when it comes to book three, I think that the idea of having an egret POV is interesting. I would have added some of the sex worker POVs, because I think that's something that is so prescient in the story. We have, as they're called throughout the story, whores everywhere, yet they're not really ever given a voice, so I think I would add Shay as a POV. And when it comes to book five, oh, also Aleaya, I think that she would be an interesting POV. And then when it comes to book five, rather than picking Grey Worm, though I think Grey Worm would be really interesting, I would put Miss Sande because then we get a possibility of hearing a lot of different perspectives and stories because she is a polyglot like that. So Yeah, for example, I wouldn't want to change Catalan in any of this because it also changes tonally how that story mm -hmm. goes down. I just yep. think while it would be interesting to have a few other point of views, in the long run, I probably would change nothing. Yeah, I, I mostly agree with you. I think I would like to see um some of Dorne or the Iron Islands um earlier I suppose would be the biggest change that I would want to have but again that's adding people not taking people away mm -hmm. I, it's really hard for me to imagine not having certain POVs but there are ones I wish that uh we just saw a little of earlier so they weren't as much out of left field for some readers I guess 
Yeah. yeah. Wean that in. Like, who do you think would be a good POV to add in to give us young Griff? Oh, well, for young Griff, that's I. Th- I would like to get more of a peasant because we really don't get a lot of actual commoner POV yeah. in yeah. it, and as much as we see people among the commoners. So yeah, someone that that that's yeah, that is interesting. I would love to see like duck. Duck would duck. be good. Duck would be a great <laughs> chapter, especially because then you'd be like duck and egg. <laughs> <laughs> I like Missandei, except it's hard to see into her mind when she's so little and so, you know, beyond her years. It's it, It'd be hard to write, believably, I think. But anyways. I just think she'd be an interesting contrast to Arya, who's also yeah, very young true. and is slipping in and out yeah. of different spaces. That's interesting. Who, wait, so other than Duck, who else? Who else? Sorry. Yasilla! <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, Yasilla. Lamore, so we don't have many questions about her. Wait, you mean Ashara Dane? <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean what? Tyene's mother? <laughs> yeah, Ashara Dane. Oh my god. But it was a good question. Yeah, no, it's a really good thinker. That was a, that was a thinker. Jeremy, if you're listening, mm-hmm. can you also compile and send us everyone else's answers to your question when they come out with them? I want yeah. to see what other people say, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Then we could all just like combine and come up with the best version we could all want. <laughs> well, with that, we'll launch into our lightning round. Uh, if you haven't heard, or for Shea, who is, of course, new as a guest, uh, but she knows <laughs> what it's about. This is what we missed between a lane one and a lane two in A Feast for Crows, because this book spans a lot and there are few and far between Sansa chapters to listen to. So in Cersei 5... Cersei's paranoia and anger are at an all-time high, and she's even opposed to kittens. That's how you know it's a bad deal. (laughs) In Brienne 5, there are many sorts of outlaws, just as there are, in fact, many sorts of burbs. (laughs) 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 You wrote this. I know. I always write them in hopes, like, you'll go through and edit if you don't like it, but you never do. You just read it at the time of, and you're like, this is good. I'm just going to own it. I mean, I was, as I was hiring these, I was like, hmm, all right. I like that. In Samwell 3, we have Sam's allegiance to the watch uh, ringing clear as he decks his false brother. Just as he's about to drown, he's saved by an uh, unlikely friend. Dungeon. (laughs) Is that not it? (laughs) Chardin. (laughs) In Jamie 3, Traveling beyond King's Landing, Jamie finds himself defying his sister's scheming and defending a woman he thought he despised. That's like literally all of his chapters, by the way. True. <laughs> Cersei 6. Cersei attempts to reconcile the crown's relationship with the faith, but she gives too much away in the process. Yep. Mm, I'll say so. The Reaver. Victorian's brother tasks him with bringing back a bride, but Victorian decides whose bride is the key phrasing here. Jamie 4. Jamie reaches Castle Derry and later learns of his sister's infidelity. Brienne 6. Ghosts of broken men haunt the Quiet Isle as the elder brother tells her stories of war and broken men. Cersei 7. House Tyrell faces threats in the Reach, and Cersei sends the perfect person to deal with them. Later, after casually ruining someone's life, she takes her queenly rights with Taina of Myr. Jamie 5. Jamie plans a parlay with the Blackfish to calm the Riverlands and reunites with his Aunt Jenna. Aw, I love Aunt Jenna. I know, right? 
Cat of the Canals, Cat prowls Bravos, learning the ways of the many-faced god and doling out her own personal brand of justice. Until it blinds her. It's really cinematic, right? <sighs> Samwell 4, a glass candle that could not be lit. Eggs that would not hatch. The Sphinx was the riddle, not the Riddler. Sam and Gilly celebrate Eamon's life in Let's more ways get than it one. <laughs> in Cersei 8, Cersei's ploys prove catastrophic for the besiegers at Dragonstone, and she dwells on the memory of a woods witch. Brienne 7. No chance and no choice. Brienne finds herself at a crossroads of sorts, casting aside her fears and being a true knight. <laughs> My daughter. I know. <laughs> Jamie 6. While Jamie's parlay doesn't necessarily go well, he devises a plan to force the Riverlands to submission. Cersei 9. Just when she thinks her plans are hatching, we all get to read her... We all get to read before she crumbles. Cersei sets forth her scheme to fabricate lies about Marjorie and her ladies. And finally, the princess in the tower. Another princess locked away in a tower, you say? Arian Martell faces a grueling, lonely punishment before finally getting the truth from her father. And that leads us right into Elaine too. Struggling with the new aspect of parenthood, Elaine and Robert prepare to descend down the mountain. They meet new friends like Miranda Royce and some Hedge Knights. Later, after putting on a brave face to cart across an icy gorge, Peter reveals to Sansa his master plan. Elaine enters Sweet Robin's room at the beginning of this chapter, and then in an attempt to get him up and ready to descend down the Eyrie. Gretchel warns Sansa, I'm sorry, I meant Elaine, to be careful, because Sweet Robin has just flung his chamber pot everywhere. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, and Sansa has this really good, quick reply, where she's like, then there's none to throw Thank at me, then. Which is yeah. accurate. Yeah, it's true. Optimism. Yeah. This is what gets But this Sansa. is actually kind of relatable, I think, to anyone who's had to try to, you know, get someone up and out especially a child trying to get them up and out for school, it can, maybe they're not quite throwing their excrement at you, but it could everything be. but. I mean, it could be. Yeah, I've they could be. I'm just saying, kids are, some kids are rough. Man. It happened in my high school, you know, like sometimes there'd be poop all over the walls and what? who knows what, it was in the bathroom, but I don't know. <laughs> what? Where did, what? <laughs> can we back up for a second? Where did you what? go to school? I don't know, school's wild. Oh my God. Sansa sends Maddie and Gretchel to double-check that they're ready to close down the Eyrie for the winter, and she comforts Sweet Robin trying to get him out of bed. He thinks Maester Coleman sent her, but she lies, and she says that she heard he was ill, which, of course this is a lie. Lothar Brune threatened to get him out of bed in a much less gentle approach, and Sansa did not want Robert to go into one of his shaking fits. She offers him breakfast in an attempt to stir him, but she realizes that they've already closed the kitchen up and he will not want porridge. She thinks it may just be worth it, though, if it gets him out of bed. Yeah, they'd be turning on an entire oven, which is yeah. hard when you don't just turn a knob, I guess. Also, all the staff is gone by now. Like, who's going to do That's it? That's true. Yeah, who is going to do it? And also, <laughs> do they have dough? These are questions that I have. But also, what are they eating? They have a lot of work before they, like, we hear that they eat eventually later in this chapter, but I am still wondering, did did they feed this boy? 
before this long, terrible thing he had to He had a, quite a journey. Look, sweet wine, sweet wine is food. I can tell you that as a person. I know this. I, well, I guess it puts you to sleep so you're not hungry. But, you know, after a while, that's the whole thing. You get hungry after you've been drinking. And that's why you end up in random places like Taco Bell at like 2 a.m. <laughs> random. <laughs> random. Actually, it's not that random. Taco Bell's totally banking on that's like their business model. Yeah, that's literally fourth meal. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Robert Aaron says, okay, okay, I'll go, but you have to read me stories. <laughs> Yeah, we get some really, uh, you know, a good bit about Artis Aaron, the Winged Knight, who we've learned more about later. But this is one of the earlier times that we've, I don't know, heard a, a bit more about his story, I guess, um, which I know you guys have some stuff you're going to talk about to do with the Winged Knight, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love the whole entire passage, though. It's great to get that Battle of the Seven Stars lore that we've kind of been peppering in in the last couple chapters, especially uh, the winged knight was Sir Artis Aaron. Legend said that he had driven the first men from the Vale and flown to the top of the giant's lance on a huge falcon to slay the Griffin King. There were a hundred tales of his adventures. Little Robert knew them all so well, he could have recited them from memory, but he liked to have them read to him all the same. Sweetling, we have to go, she told the boy, but I promise I'll read you two tales of the winged knight when we reach the gates of the moon. <laughs> He gets that up to like five tails by the end. No, a hundred tails. No, just keeps going. <laughs> She's like, we don't have that many tails about yeah. him. He really wasn't that great, you guys. <laughs> She's like, how many times can I just rephrase the same exact thing? <laughs> we have talked a bit about the Battle of the Seven Stars and Artist Aaron, but this tells us a lot about the characters we're currently talking about. The Winged Knight gives Robert bravery, just like Sansa thinks of herself as a wolf or as her mother, Lady Catelyn. It, of course, leads us straight into The Winds of Winter's Elaine 1, the sample chapter that we most of us have read, I hope, where Sansa's throwing a tourney and she hopes to find Sweet Robin a team of protectors, Winged Knights, which gives a lot of callback to Fire and Blood, part one, with the War for the White Cloaks with Jaehaerys and Alysanne. Sansa goes around, she says, I'm going to open the curtains up so that we can get some light in the room and hopefully get Sweet Robin out of bed. And that doesn't work that well. Sweet Robin's like, I don't want the light. I want him to sit in the dark. <laughs> like, It'll be fine. He does say that the light hurts his eyes, too, which I think is interesting. Makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, if he's in darkness for a long time, it'll hurt your yeah. eyes. But I also wondered if, what well, you know, he's frail and has other things going on. Maybe he's just got a general light sensitivity. I don't know. And meds. Yeah. That's true. Oh, yeah. He could be, like, mildly, I don't know, hungover from all the things that they're secretly <laughs> That's giving him. It's true, though. I know. It sucks. Yeah. Sansa carefully walks around this chamber pot, which she's like, well, I smell it better than I see it. And <laughs> claims, oh, look, I can see your face. And when Sansa turns back around, Sweet Robin's now propped up against a pillow. And he's looking all, like, sad and pasty. And his hair's long. And he's, like, shirtless and skinny and... <laughs> He had like a lot of interesting descriptions, like his like chest is concave. And, yeah, like, concave with a little belly. No. Mm. Yeah, but sad little boy. He just wants to be strong. <laughs> he does. He and doesn't need tries... to be strong, though. Honestly, I, I don't think he he'd just be needs good, to be strong. sweet, Robin. Yeah, not strong, Robin. But yeah, uh... that's true. <laughs> he needs to just be a little burb. <laughs> Step one: be sweet. 
sir. Be sweeter. Uh, but no, Please. Sansa just keeps trying to bribe Robert here, and he just keeps wanting more and more out of her. And a kind of comical effect, but and I, and I, I really do laugh at him. But it also is really sad to me and tinged with this trauma that they've both gone through, you know, separately and together, and this upcoming trauma they're about to go through this terrifying descent so like i'm laughing at it all but i am like you know he's not wrong just be stay safe things are stay in bed (laughs) (laughs) yeah it doesn't seem like a fun journey and yeah as you said you can really see how pitiable like robert aaron is he feels a lot like he has depression yeah and also, going back, though, to the part where it's kind of funny, he also reminds me of the great children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. <laughs> or its great successor, If You Give yeah. a Moose a Muffin. Yeah, Both there's, there's a good. bunch. No, there's a bunch of those, actually. I looked them up recently. There's more than those, too. There's, like, you yeah. would not believe how many they've made. Uh, actually, it would astonish you. But, you know, the next one will be If You Give Robert a Tale, and it'll go from there. Yeah, if you give a falcon a story. If you give a falcon Aww. a story. Aww. Aww. Wait, that's our next podcast. We're just going to actually read all of these different books. That's oh my god! Our, yes. That's our next reread. Like it's our next Patreon TV. episode. Yeah, <laughs> just reading all these different books of if you give a mouse a cookie, if you give a moose a muffin, whatever else came after that. And there's one like if you give a pig a pancake, I think, or something like oh, that. Yeah, I think yeah. I remember that one. Anyways, yeah. there's a bunch. There's really are. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! Just like Marillion's song about the pigs. Oh, oh yeah, about the swine. Yeah. He's like, it's a song about pigs. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> <laughs> it's still really funny. <laughs> Sansa tells Sweet Robin that Maddie and Gretchel could give him a bath, but he protests because of his headache. And he, she also tells him Maya is waiting for him with her mules. He complains about the wart on Maddie's eye and that she scrubs too hard. And Maya smells of mules. And man, Sansa is being really patient right now. She tries to warm him up with how much Maya loves him, but he won't have it. He says he doesn't love her. <laughs> Damn, it's like, hold on, back up, sweet Robin, while we're critiquing everyone. Please, like, this is like the pot calling the kettle black or something. I'm like, chill out, chill out, child. <laughs> I don't love her. She's just the mule girl. Robert sniffled. Maester Coleman put something vile in my milk last night. I could taste it. I told him I wanted sweet milk, but he wouldn't bring me any, not even when I commanded him. I am the Lord. He should do what I say. No one does what I say. I'll speak to him, Elaine promised. But only if you get up out of bed. It's beautiful outside, sweet Robin. The sun is shining bright, a perfect day for going down the mountain. The mules are waiting down at Sky with Maya. His mouth quivered. I hate those smelly mules. One tried to bite me once. You tell that Maya that I'm staying here. He sounded as if he were about to cry. No one can hurt me so long as I stay here. The Eerie is impregnable. Who would want to hurt my sweet Robin? Your lords and knights adore you, and the small folk cheer your name. He is afraid, she thought, and with good reason. Yeah. I do love that... Even though he comes off as a scared, weak little child, Sansa justifies his fright later on because, let's face it, going down from that eerie is scary. It's scary. Maya could tell of great lords and bold knights who had gone pale and wet their small clothes on the mountain, and none of them had the shaking sickness either. I really want to know which which great lords and bold knights really were terrified of this. I want to hear that gossip from her. Me too. Lynn Corbray, that's who I'm picturing. He just terrifies him. No. 
wasn't uh sir roderick struggled with it right or yeah sir yeah sir roderick did yeah because uh didn't his face go green or something catelyn was like Ugh. <laughs> something like that we get that yeah. from the Tyrion in, in catelyn chapters but i don't i don't know who else yeah, yeah. I know, there's no shame in it honestly i mean i just i'm picturing like this big yeah. blustering like manly guy who you know he's embarrassed about it but again it, I, I would be terrified i don't know if i would make it up or i down. bet robert baratheon hated oh, yeah. it I mean, especially like a big guy, you would feel, you know, I don't know, even more unsafe, I feel like. I just want to see Robert Baratheon in the little basket now, like getting like, <laughs> taken down Maya, like rolling her eyes. Oh. Well, he, goes, he wouldn't, though. It wouldn't he be goes Maya. one to a basket. <laughs> no one mm-hmm. else in there with him. Well, you can like imagine maybe it's like a little girl Maya and she's like, Dad, <laughs> Dad, it's yeah. fine. It's him and Marcella. <laughs> oh, Damn. <laughs> George does a lot of his best writing here because while Sansa is patiently chiding Robert to move since, you know, everyone's waiting on the Lord of the Eerie to get his shit together, we get this quote as well. On the valley floor, autumn still lingered, warm and golden, but winter had closed around the mountain peaks. They had weathered three snowstorms and an ice storm that transformed the castle into crystal for a fortnight. The Eerie might be impregnable, but it would soon be inaccessible as well, and the way down grew more hazardous every day. Most of the castle's servants and soldiers had already made the descent. Only a dozen still lingered up here to attend Lord Robert. I love the Eerie because it's beautiful. It's full of prose. It's not too cartoonish or over the top. The Eerie and the Vale are sad, cold, lonely places, and you can feel that wind blowing through your bones while you read, you know? No, I really think it's some of the most visceral chapters. You just really feel it. You really, really do. Yeah. Throughout these uh, Eerie chapters, you really can feel, I mean how beautiful and sterile it is and all of these things. But I think he also... Sterile. Yeah, that's, I don't know. That is how it that's feels. a good adjective. <laughs> but, I mean, you also... like I, I can really feel a couple of, like, of these characters that he's introducing here. Like when we meet Miranda Royce and we see Maya Stone and all that. But just Sweet Robin, Robert Brathian is a very real character to me. He can really write a good, good brat. And I can really just hear this whiny kid complaining in my head. And I, I think that that is, I mean, we see it with Joffrey and other characters that he can write a, a, a good brat, but Sweet Robin's kind of a more sympathetic brat, I guess. He's also super relatable. Like, yeah. he's all like, where are my stories? We shouldn't leave. We should kiss in bed and eat honeycombs all day. And I'm like, same. I don't want to go into snow. <laughs> yeah. I, now I really do feel like I can relate to him in a way I never really thought I could. Yeah. But I don't want to go outside. Right. In the I, yeah. yeah, I just want my stories and some some bed kissing and honeycombs. Yeah, I guess. sure, yeah. honeycombs. Big mood, dude. Good for you. I I agree. <laughs> Sweet Robin has it figured out at age like eight nine. <laughs> he does. Though, are those honeycombs all like? Remember in the previous chapter when they were thinking about how are we going to sneak him his medicine? Oh, That's awesome. yeah. I'm ruining everything. <laughs> Why you got to do this to us? Damn. <sighs> yeah, he's right though. It's it sucks to leave, and I wonder if um, it's kind of funny. I just thought about it. How Robert Aaron complaining about the smelly mules didn't. Sansa complained about the smelliness of the horses back when Arya said, oh, we're yeah. going to go riding and go out to this place or something like that. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. so funny. <laughs> Up in so yeah. now it's like How Sansa has completely changed. Yeah. 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 She's Elaine. I'm sorry. This is Elaine now. Oh she God. doesn't care what meals smell like. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it's interesting that this is what Liza allowed his behavior to turn into, right? This little pathetic kid. And it's really sad because Sansa pities him even when he's being a brat, especially because without her claim and now that she's Elaine, she's seeing what it's like to be a political pawn from the outside. I mean, I mean, she already had her space invaded by people, but I mean, Robert just thinks she's his. He owns her basically, and he can kiss and grope and do all these. You know, he's just he's really invading her space, uh, which is what Littlefinger is doing as well, of course. <laughs> yeah. So it's a weird class dynamic too when you think about it, because in retrospect, this is what a lot of lords did to yeah. the people who they saw as below them in the station. Yeah. yeah, it's just people to him. They're not like, yeah, they're not real humans. They're just there for him. And like he said, you know, why won't anyone listen to me? I'm the Lord, <laughs> which is kind of sad. Yeah, I can understand that being frustrating. He just wants like time to sit there and process and not have to look down at the huge ground thing where like his mother fell and died, whatever. Yeah, yeah. no trauma. <laughs> and so like when... Robert is kissing up on Sansa. She's trying to cope with this and she's already pretending all the time in order to be a Lane Stone. And so during this, she thinks about trying to pretend that Robert is Loras Tyrell. But even in that, she just pokes holes in her own fantasy. And of course, this is when we get that, uh, you know, oft covered memory in quotes of Sandor kissing her. As the boy's lips touched her own, she found herself thinking of another kiss. She could still remember how it felt when his cruel mouth pressed down on her own. He had come to Sansa in the darkness as green fire filled the sky. He took a song and a kiss and left me nothing but a bloody cloak. It made no matter. That day was done and so was Sansa. You know the Meryl Streep meme where she's like yelling at the awards show? That's me. He took a song and a kiss and left me nothing but a bloody cloak. Yeah, It's a really good line. It's a really good line. <laughs> yeah, except for the part where you know it's not true. <laughs> Shay, she you knows know how that. to tell a tale. We'll discuss it. It's yeah. obviously something that needs to be unpacked, and it's something that George has acknowledged that isn't that interesting that Sansa thinks that. And yes, everyone, you all read that right in A Clash of Kings. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it is interesting I, that she has misremembered this, and it is something that people do and it really you know could screw your head up to, to have that happen i really want to know if she's gonna see sandor and like would she bring it up to him <laughs> and be like, hope so. uh, no that never happened i think she will like i think i don't know like that is so awkward like, i think he's gonna someone... die and she's gonna kiss him as he dies i think it's gonna be like a whole thing i think he's gonna save her when he comes back and like the north or wherever he is so they're never they're never like, gonna have this awkward moment where Sandor finds out that she had this fake memory about him. Is what you're saying? We're not gonna get. That I think it's off. no. I think it's gonna be more of a complete circle because he's gonna like die for her and he's gonna give some rousing little bird speech, like saving her, becoming the true knight he wanted to be but never had the balls to be from his trauma and yada yada. And she'll and take his bloody cloak, of course. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. You mean you don't want the awkward moment where someone accidentally confesses to having this weird, like, fantasy about you? 
<laughs> I just, I just think that would be. I, I, I want uncomfortable things. Apparently, I just, like, I just don't see it. Like, I don't see them having the. Like, I don't think it'll. Come I really up. can't I see know. how she could bring it up. That's true. Like, unless if she was like, let's say she's talking to Arya and she's like, oh yeah, my first kiss was, my first real kiss was Sandor Clegane, and then Arya talks to Sandor about it. He's like, what? What is this nonsense? No. Ah, uh, yes, the I, guy I that, that like happened. on his deathbed said to Arya, like, you know, I should have banged your sister, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, but I know he didn't do that <laughs> because he would have told me that he. What? Never mind. <laughs> this is a strange yeah. thing, and I just think it would be funny. And I obviously only do anything for the lulls. And <laughs> yeah, we've got um, all this stuff with Maester Coleman talking to Elaine. I will try to be careful with my name for her because she really, she really is trying to be careful with her own name for herself. And Elaine and Sansa are different. Although I, I, I do. This is kind of a digression, but I, I like to think of Sansa as incorporating all of this Elaine-ness into, you know, Sansa 2.0 or whatever. Yes. You know that this, she, she's, she thinks of herself as this fractured being, but I, I think that she's really just coming to terms with other parts of herself anyways that's super digression but um maester coleman talks about just straight up knocking robert out with milk of the poppy and elaine is not down for this because the appearances or whatever but personally i'm totally on maester coleman's side of this i think Robert is too much of a risk. His shaking, his dangerous descent. It's not worth it if he just dies. I don't know. I think they could have just knocked him out personally. Oh my God. <laughs> I just, as I'm reading it, I'm like, really? Is it worth the risk? Just the appearance of him? I don't know. Oh my God. No, I understand. I'm like, damn, but I understand. But like, damn. <laughs> I know. Just, just, I don't know. I just, I was terrified of the idea of him like taking someone down with him or something like that, uh, <laughs> honestly. But they do suggest date him a bit as it happens with that sweet sleep um they do at least keep him a little calmer yeah and he tells her you know this is the last time for a while we can do this and she's like okay well take it up with my dad he says See like ya. half a year too he says like six months like that's crazy right. it's a little nuts and i do think though this whole character shift of elaine you know uh, being okay with giving him this, even though Maester Coleman's like, this could kill him. And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm sure it could, whatever. We just got to keep the kid going for now. You know, uh, yeah. all this shift, a lot of this, and with her little Sandor thought, it has to do with her repressing things, which it's been brought up as we know through things like King's Landing and Blackwater or her like saying, oh, Willis's leg is fine. Like, I hope he loves me. I don't care if he has a bum leg. I don't care if he has burns. I don't care if Tyrion's ugly. Just her justifying and repressing things to make them go down, right? Especially the lies going down easier with a, a spoonful of sugar. Especially in this scenario with Sweet Robin where it all kind of comes back to her first chapter at A Feast for Crows where she thinks they were comforting lies, though, and she thought them kindly meant. A lie is not so bad if it is kindly meant, if only she believed them. I think that idea of what you're saying of a spoonful of sugar and all this, it's something that we see actually manifesting physically in the story. Because again, like they are slipping these, the sweet sleep, etc. to Robert through yes. actual sweets. But as you were saying, and as we were discussing earlier, even like uh, as Ashea was saying about Sansa incorporating Elaine into who she is, we get later in this chapter Sansa discussing how it's become easier to lie the, and repeat that Marillion's the one who killed Liza, and that if she says it enough times, she feels she's beginning to feel like it's true and it's what really happened, uh, versus 
what actually did happen, Littlefinger killing Liza and how it feels like a bad, distant dream. And I wonder if that's something that's coming to play here, again, with that unkiss, but also as you were talking about, uh, both of you, in terms of Sansa shifting morals or just repressing everything and just trying to become Elaine. And I do think that's something that, as you said, yeah, we should be calling her Elaine. Like, the way this chapter is written, it's not written as... For example, like Sansa was doing X thing as like pretending to be this. It's written with Elaine did this, even in her interiority and in the narrative itself. Yeah, which obviously we see parallel things with Arya, most obviously, in terms of her having to become someone else and really sell herself on it. But also Theon is another really big one um, in terms of that and him really, you know, embodying and, and being someone else, even in his thoughts, and which shows like the trauma that Arya and Theon and Sansa went through to have to be at this point and to be this so terrified that they have to hide themselves in this way or, you know, whatever reason that they each have for being someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives that whole question of who's Sansa going to be at the end of this, you know, Sansa 2.0, like you keep saying, obviously needs some big thing to happen in between for her to become Sansa 2.0, which I think we all know that's going to be Littlefinger and uh, his takedown. And is it going to be enough for her to have said, you know, this was all Littlefinger's plan when I was Elaine, I had nothing to do with it, you know, her to be able to shed her skin and wash her hands of it. So that's going to be really interesting to see what kind of comes in with the poisoning of Sweet Robin and where she kind of ends up responsible. But I think it's actually something she's going to use against Littlefinger. You know, he was poisoning the Lord of the Vale. Yeah. Yeah, but you can see that even in the rest of her storyline, she already feels a little responsible for things that maybe she isn't necessarily always responsible for and so she might feel that responsibility when it comes to sweet robin because she feels like even though she's been lying about it she feels culpable in liza's death she feels like the death of dantos is something that weighs on her conscience she feels like she's kind of at fault there do you feel like sansa seeks or is gonna need redemption that she is that so you think that's something that's gonna come in her arc or do you think she's gonna you know completely break bad and embrace that you have to do these things and you know just live with it i don't know if it's that she needs redemption for those things i think it's one of those things does she she feel like like she needs it like, does she feel like I it? think she does. Yeah. I think her bringing about Littlefinger's death, though, and in the end, I think something that we're going to talk about a lot in our Patreon episode after this, uh, the Winds of Winter 1 chapter for Sansa. Well, sorry, again, Elaine. Uh, <laughs> Winds of Winter Elaine 1 versus, you know, uh, just her future from the Winds of Winter and a Dream of Spring is, I think, in her condemning Littlefinger to death and her finding out everything he was responsible for, you know, including her father's death, her real father's death, and, you know, just everything he's responsible for. I think that'll clear that conscious in the end, though. I think I think we're going to see a big sentencing of all of his crimes, so... I'm just not sure if she will feel like that will absolve her entirely, or if it's something that she's just going to live with and grow up and be like, I just have to deal with these, because in the... At the end of A Storm of Swords, right, when she's entering that godswood, she's like, a godswood without gods, just like me. And she feels like she's not worthy to step out into the pure snow. She feels... 
I mean, if, if she feels like she's culpable for at all for Sweet Robin's death, she would feel, you know, at least akin to a kinslayer. If not that, yeah. she, that would add to her guilt as well, I have to say. If she, depending on how much she feels guilt, like actual guilt, or whether she thinks, it depends on how much she thinks she's involved. Because I mean, she definitely is involved. It just depends on her perspective on it all. Yeah, I mean, obviously she's helping, but I don't think she really knows the extent of what she's doing, and it really talks a lot on the whole. You know, as we've discussed with Lady Gwyn on a couple of weeks ago, and the pawn to player essays and discussions, and taking her out of the context of her not having a say anymore and making her a bastard really helps you see all that context around puppet kings and puppet lords with Robert being set up as a puppet ruler and those around him fighting to have control over his stamp and name. We see this a lot with Tommen as well. And it's very different from someone who has a bit more autonomy, like fake Aegon. And granted, confession, I haven't finished the Aegon the Third section yet of Fire and Blood, but it's something that's explored there that idea of who rules when someone's too so young yeah of regency and that's dealt i mean that's dealt with during jaharis and alisanne's chapters yeah. as well of course um it's uh yeah we do see a lot of that and even when someone's a good regent, that doesn't mean that the the young lord or young king is going to be too happy with the person that had to play parent to them and you know put their foot down and all that even if what they were doing was right um, or wrong in some cases, like Littlefinger. <laughs> yeah. I mean, either way, in the end, all she's doing right now is building up just evidence of Littlefinger and his sins. That's the biggest thing about all of these chapters. This book, and of course, next book, I'm sure she'll find a ton more of his follies that he is just not covering his tracks around her because he doesn't think any of it could ever be brought up again. So they start to make their descent downwards and they go to meet up with people. Robert, of course, after this whole debacle of whether or not he's getting the dream wine, he's also being leeched. Yeah, I know. I just, I just, that poor he's kid. He's like nine. I, I know. I know. Dude. Like, it's get the really... bad blood out? What? He's nine years old. Give him a video game. <laughs> oh. Give, give him a goddamn Game Boy and a soda and say goodbye. Like, come on. <laughs> yes. This is what happens when you, I guess, don't have the FDA. <laughs> put all that sugar in the kids' foods. Yeah, to put all the sugar and test out, you know, all these different drugs or I don't know. All that dream wine into their foods. Yeah, be like, give give those general surgeon warnings. Oh maybe, the, maybe, the, maybe the leeches just like leech out all the drugs out of his blood, out of his system. Oh my God. Gets him a little cleaner. Well, they used to like think, yeah, leeching and bloodletting. They were like, "This is fine. This yeah, is how this yeah. is how medicine works." And it's like, "This is making it worse, you idiots." <laughs> they need that blood. <laughs> no. I remember reading something recently where uh, someone who I guess studies medieval culture more was talking about how the small folk actually had healthier cures than no. the high lords and ladies and kings and queens because they were all like using crazy shit. They were like, yeah, we should consume mercury. Mercury is yeah. a cure for things because it's, I guess, a cool, pretty shiny liquid. Obviously, it's got to be good. Who are we, Aryan bright yeah, let's, let's have Let's have a goblet of mercury and a couple of leeches oh and relax at the sauna. Uh, it sounds great to me. Commoners were like, yeah, we're going to use garlic and herbs and like actual like <laughs> real things that might be effective and not then not you have Targaryens out there. Yeah, not drink gold. <laughs> or wildfire. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Put it together. <laughs> uh, 
I love this quote. There's more beautiful eerie porn going on. <laughs> Old snow cloaked the courtyard and icicles hung down like crystal spears from the terraces and towers. The eerie was built of fine white stone and winter's mantle made it whiter still. So beautiful, Elaine thought, so impregnable. And yeah, I love that quote too. And just this imagery of this wintry eerie. But also, I I think that it's interesting is how often in this chapter and other chapters they talk about the eerie being impregnable. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Which just, uh, you, you, you got to think that something's coming from that. And in general, I mean, that they've left the eerie. They, they don't want to hole up there for the winter. But it makes me wonder if someone, if, if some people could fly there and hide there. And yeah, I, I feel like something's coming out of it in the future. It's but building. I don't, but I don't see someone ascending the eerie in in winter so i feel like they have to fly to the eerie to hide on the eerie i guess is my thought Ask ron ellen Cheryl would know <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely and especially how quiet it is there right like the quiet of the eerie is like a little too quiet like something is gonna happen is it very eerie no nope, <laughs> quiet it is you. <laughs> I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. We're moving on. We get this creepy line where Sansa takes something that Littlefinger would say as bravery, but it's kind of the opposite of what her actual father, Ned Stark, would say. And yet the thought of leading, and yet the thought of leaving frightened her almost as much as it frightened Robert. She only hid it better. Her father said there was no shame in being afraid, only in showing your fear. All men live with fear, he said. Elaine was not certain she believed that. Nothing frightened Peter Baelish. He only said that to make me brave. So, of course, if we look back in the books, uh, it kind of echoes back to Bran thought about it. Can a man still be brave if he's afraid? That is the only time a man can be brave, his father told him. It harkens back to something we've discussed before. Bran's first beheading was Ned dealing out northern justice with lessons to be learned, but Sansa and Arya's first beheading was different. It was their father at the Sept of Baylor. So, of course, then we get Elaine thinking, it will mean my head if I am found, she reminded herself as she descended a flight of icy stone steps. I must be Elaine all the time, inside and out. So Sansa's defense mechanism currently in surviving is to embody everything in the lifestyle Littlefinger is providing her, all while she gathers up these evidence and clues to his demise. I think those bravery and fear quotes are really interesting in terms of, I think they're, I think Ned's, you know, fairly right on the nose there that that is the only time you can really be, you know, you to be brave, you have to be afraid, you have to feel fear of something. Otherwise, you, what is there that you're being brave about if you're not even afraid of it? Anyways, I, uh, I appreciate that quote a lot, actually. As we've discussed in a lot of previous episodes, you get Sansa hearkening back to Ned. Not just his lessons, there's just a lot that's reminiscent, even in this chapter, of things that happened with Ned. And yeah, that bravery which Sansa displays many times throughout this chapter. And then we come across, I guess, my one of my favorites, who I'm, I don't know, I'm starting to get worried after reading this chapter that he's really going to let me down, okay? Lothar yes. Brune asks how sweet Robin is, and I'm just worried. Yeah, I don't trust him. I don't think you should trust him. No. I'm not to say you shouldn't distrust, you should distrust him, but neutral. I, I definitely, I think the jury's still out on him. I don't the know. Jury's oh. out. He's going to let me down. I think he's going to let me down. 
Yeah. And I'm just bracing my he's heart. He's a man, so yeah, he's going to let you down. That's, what do you think he's going to do? I don't know. What could he do? Well, okay, so... There's a few things. I mean, I don't know. He's Littlefinger's man, but... He's Littlefinger's man. There's a lot okay. of talk of Maya Stone throughout this chapter, and also how Maya Stone stresses later on. She keeps being like, I never fall. And when a character says that they never do something... The way storytelling works is it's like, until one day that changed. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. May- I don't think Lothar Brun would necessarily throw Maya Stone off, but I, or maybe, I don't know. I guess there's plenty to throw off, but they're down now. They, 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 yeah. get, they, they get down there. That's and I, true. I, she, they really don't seem like any of them are planning to go back up during the winter at all. They'll come back up after the winter is well over. But like I said, I'm still suspicious that people are, aren't going to ma- go back up to the Erie during winter somehow. But I don't know that that yeah. will apply to I could see it uh, being like a defense place when winter actually comes, maybe. When they're yeah. you know, out of options, if they get run out of, oh, you know, like the north and run out of They still places, have to get up but... there. So like again, I, mean, I guess a caravan... Like dragon takes some people up there and they I just it's hard for me to picture people making the ascent in the dead of winter even. Yeah. Um, I mean the good news is I don't think that white walkers climb. <laughs> yeah, but maybe they like I don't know, ice bend and they ice bend their way all the way up into the mountain or we have the mountain clans potentially playing a role and we know that they weren't yeah. usually able to Get into the. I think all the others need are some. They just need to turn some mules into, you know, undead mules, and there we go. They'll make their way up, and the mules will keep going. Or they cling on to one of the ice bears, and by ice bears (laughs) I mean polar bear. It's not like I just got. Oh, how do we go? Ice spiders, ice spiders climbing the sides of the mountain. Oh, there there we go. go. Do they make huge like ice webs and then climb that? Like Spider Man. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, about, like, whether the ice spiders, like, what webs they make. I don't know. What webs they weave. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know. I've never actually thought about it until this moment. What kind of webs does an ice spider make? Do they make webs? Who knows? They're huge. They're freaking huge. Whatever they are. But um, in terms of Lothar Brune, I, I, I am suspicious of him, but there's like this line where he talks about saying young girls were always happiest with older men because innocence and experience make for a perfect marriage. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it because it's kind of creepy to me, kind of accurate, kind of just like a weird justification for all these things. In my head, I started to judge myself because I'm a young girl with an older man. So I'm like, damn, Lothar, you really got to call me out like that, I guess. But um, I, I guess he's, he's just thinking about Mia. But I don't know. It, it's kind of creepy to me, I guess, ultimately, to say that they're always happiest with older men. Yeah, that's a little weird. And it's weird that it's coming from him for that. Because, like, if it's so easy, why haven't you gotten yourself a younger woman yet, Logan? <laughs> like, what? He's he's waiting for the right one, which is her. No, I do think, like, because Sansa is really projecting here. We get this in a little bit that we'll talk about, but... Sansa's kind of projecting, right? She She's thinking about Maya and Lothar together, and it kind of makes me think, you know, like Willis's legs, Sandor's face, Tyrion's everything, all older men, and it's almost like she's just projecting kind of who she has had, in her mind, romantic relations with, uh, which is sad. It's kind of like Lothar's hinting at Peter and Sansa, actually, now that I think a little about it as well. He's like, hint, hint. Yup. Yup. I think there's like two things at play here. Like one is, yes, I think we're supposed to raise our eyebrows at that line and be like, uh, and because of that, it's supposed to call out, hey, this is maybe like a problematic idea that's just been perpetuated. Yeah, of course. Like 
it makes sense for older guys to be with younger girls, but the opposite is is weird. But I'm going to throw this also out there. Um, very strange reading of it. But as you all said, right, we don't see Lothar Brun at the moment having been married to anyone. And I'm not, I don't know that Lothar Brun's like super innocent, but in terms of innocence and experience, we get throughout the chapter hearing that, oh, Maya Stone is not a virgin. So what if the experience <laughs> is Maya Stone here? And you see she's a capable like climber and the innocence is Lothar Brun. Oh, that's so sweet. See, I like that. I mean, I, I like the idea of innocence and experience being a pair for one another, actually, in general. I, I don't want that just to be some creepy thing. I, I do like the idea of complementary people within a, a couple, I guess. So, yes, yeah. I, I like that. I think that it's probably meant to be creepy, but it's also potentially meant to be seen the other way. Mm-hmm. But so Sansa does think about Lothor marrying uh, Mia Stone there and, uh, you know, arranging it and the idea of what, what, you know, if they could get married or what marriages she could get if she had been acknowledged and all that. And all of that obviously made me think of Alicent and numerous other historical women in Fire and Blood who mentioned numerous times about how they arranged marriages. Sometimes they were political marriages but sometimes they were just marriages because they're nice people and they wanted their women to be happy and and taken care of i guess yeah definitely i also would have loved like it makes me sad that sansa didn't have that support when she was living in king's landing as a hostage and that she was a hostage even before then i would have loved her be like a force to reckon with with those tyrell cousins right because those little gossiping girls but i don't know just her with actual experience in king's landing I do love that line, though. There's this line that comes up that Brune would be a good match for a bastard girl like Maya, she thought. It might be different if her father had acknowledged her, but he never did. And Maddie says she's no maid. Yeah, it would be very different if her father had acknowledged her, right? Like, she'd be oh, a princess yeah. of the Iron Throne. Like, his own, one of his only legitimate heirs next to Edric. She'd have a whole mess of trouble of men mm-hmm. trying to marry her. Oh, yeah. So she's better off. I think there'd probably oh, be a whole war raised in her name. Yeah, for sure. Whoever got whoever got their hands on her and managed to marry her, they would. Yeah, they would wage a lot of of lot of war. There'd be a lot of death. So yeah, good for her that that did not happen. Although <laughs> yeah. never say never. I guess I, I I don't think she's gonna get too involved in politics or anything like that. But yeah. Maya Stone. Yeah, like, I don't think she will. No. Like, I don't think she will try to. But I, I do wonder if it is at all possible for someone to use her as a pawn. But I don't think enough people know or care. There's other male bastards of Roberts. I don't think it's going to play out. But Yeah, the woman don't count, unfortunately. We don't. We don't. <laughs> yeah. Maya is kind of living, I just realized, in some ways, Robert's dream life. Just a simple life. Chilling <laughs> with some, like, mules. <laughs> well, I don't know about the mules part, but just chilling. No. There's a lot in this, like, section that's interesting about marriages because, yeah, there's that discussion of Mayan Lothar, but there's also that discussion of Lionel Corbray, who is apparently marrying a spice merchant's daughter for a very large dowry. And then there's that great joke where they're like, I hope he remembers which one he's supposed to bed or whatever, <laughs> because he's super jazzed about all that money. Uh, we also know that... Yeah, jazzed. Sure. <laughs> yeah, jazzed. We also know that there are a lot of... Um, other spice merchants in Gold Goldtown from our later encounters with Harry and the Winds Elaine chapter. And it seems like 
some maybe some of the houses or some of the people that Littlefinger has been building alliances with might be some of those spice merchants. And I think it's a great way of showing that class tension between that old money and the established houses in Westeros and that rising merchant class. I mean, people have brought up a lot that Littlefinger is very much inspired by The Great Gatsby and how George R. R. Martin talks about how much he loves the story of The Great Gatsby. And you can see that tension. Like, Littlefinger's super salty about how he's treated by other lords and ladies because he is from like a new house and it's something that we get explored between like the westerlings and the phrase old house versus newer house or not so new and later along in Littlefinger's super long like villain monologue that we're going to get to later of all the different errands and how some were super old and proud but they were poor and then some are like newer the ones in Goldtown and they're super rich but like I don't know it also reminds me of that takeover in King's Landing of Pantoshi in Fire and Blood that we get, right? When, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit, too. Interesting. Which is something that seems like it's going to come up in the later books with the free cities. And there is a huge merchant class there, of which, of course, Illyrio is part of. Yes. So we also have Sansa finding out that Miranda Royce is come all the way up the mountain just to come all the way back down again. She wonders this, and in my head I'm like, it's because she's a badass boss, but also <laughs> because uh, the Royces know what's up. They, 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 you know. Yeah, because the Royces are in the most John Ralphio voice I could give you from Parks and Rec. Suspicious! Perfect. They don't think she's a lame. <laughs> that was spot on. That was a great John Ralphio voice. Thank I have you. to tell you. And I'm in I've a John Ralphio shirt right now. So I'm oh, yeah, exactly. Her. Um, wow. You're the officiator. <laughs> yes. Think it was, it was ac- I'm actually quite impressed by how John Ralphio esque that sing talking was. Anyways. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Lothar uh, warned Sansa that Maya did not travel alone, of course, as said that she brought Lady Randa. And Lady Randa is a force to be reckoned with. She's Randy. Oh man, oh, Randy Randa. It. It's so good. <laughs> but no, I was I was especially pleased to cover this chapter because I really do love Miranda Royce. She's just really, really amusing. She's so, so funny. And honestly to me, she's like a sex in the city character in Westeros, basically. And her name is even Miranda, which is the name of one of the characters. So uh I don't know about that. But Straight away, Miranda asks Elaine if she's still a virgin. Like, that's one of her first, she like, gets straight to it. As we know, she knows a little more about what's going on, and that's why she's trying to get little bits out of her here. But she tells her just some outrageous things, like about how her husband died while, and this is how Miranda puts it, quite bluntly, fucking her. Inside <laughs> her, and all. And I, I really do wonder, I... I, I if that's the truth or Miranda is just being like particularly outrageous and shocking and it wasn't right then. But it, I mean, if he was old, it happens, I guess. I, I guess. Know. I guess. So I, I can believe it happens, but I can also believe that Miranda is just fucking with Sansa, uh, with Elaine, which she is doing throughout this, basically kind of playing with her. Cause I mean, I think we all agree that she, you know, they know, they know a good yeah. bit about what's going on here. But we also find out that Miranda had sex with Marillion, 
Um, she just really lays on the innuendo, talking about the sweet things he could do with his fingers. Not anymore. Um, yeah, I just basically every line. Yeah, not anymore. But basically every line Miranda has is just like zing, zing, zing. It's just all, all so sassy, basically. Man, Sansa must be sitting there like her stomach churning though. Yeah. Yeah, I, and also it does make me wonder again, like her talking about. I, I, I really wonder the ex- exact extent of what Miranda Royce knows. Everything. That's why her Everything. hair's so big. It's full of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, do you think she knows that Marillion didn't kill Lysa there? I wonder. So I like wonder. That, like, I, I, I think I they how assume much she's playing with her. I think they assume that he didn't actually kill her. I mean, I think Bronze Yone at least assumes Nestor doesn't care because he has power now. Yeah. He just wanted the gates of the moon. But I think Bronze Yone, I think he assumes it. I think Randa assumes it. It's uh I think they assume that it was actually Littlefinger, because they all hate Littlefinger. They think he's scum. I mean Littlefinger talks about how uh, cunning and smart uh, Miranda Royce is, so I wouldn't put it past her. Um and all of these little I mean, she's doing these little needling things, um, where so- Elaine wouldn't guess that Miranda knows what's going on, but when you read it, assuming that she knows, it really seems like she's just messing with her a little bit but while also she's gauging some her reactions and you know seeing what kind of a person she is as well um and stuff like that oh yeah i sansa ends up getting dressed into something appropriate to go down the mountain something nice and warm i love the line that she's like dressed like a little bear cub (laughs) yeah she meets with maya lothar and mord waiting to make the descent and she does know about maya's parentage she says Yes, she thought, looking at her now. Those are his eyes. And she has his hair, too. The thick black hair he shared with Renly. Mm -hmm. I love this line and description. Like, the way that it's delivered feels so much like that Ned chapter when he first meets Gendry and he says, yes, I can see it. There's Robert's eyes and his hair. He looks just like him. And I I wonder if, like, the whole royal bastard thing is going to come into play in Sansa's future chapters. Yeah, I wonder that too. I mean, Sansa could run into Gendry. She could mm-hmm. run into, you know, there's like, Robert has a number of royal, of, of bastards that she could run into, you know, Edric Storm, Gendry, um, and have that happen again, I guess. Absolutely. Sansa's also scared of making the descent on the mules, but she summons her bravery. She sweet talks sweet Robin, telling him how brave he is. <laughs> My lord is brave, Elaine said when she felt him shaking. I'm so frightened I can hardly talk, but not you. She felt him nod. The winged knight was brave, and so am I, he boasted to her bodice. I'm an Aaron. Aww. Aww, little sweet Robin. Elaine, are you my mother now? I think that little, I mean, that that is sweet and all that. And as much as I'm also like grossed out lightly by the boasted to her bodice, I I, I, I can't not, I don't know, whatever. I'm like, it's it's gross and sweet, but also I'm like props to Elaine, to Sansa there, because I mean, she says there, I'm so frightened. I can hardly talk, but not you. But in actuality, she is so frightened, yet she can still manipulate him lightly, you know, and generally pump him up i guess uh even during this fear she can still coddle him yeah and it's hard to get kids what to do what you want they don't care about your logic they just <laughs> do what they want yeah and then of course q as you were saying miranda royce 
Mm-hmm. Twenty mules awaited them from within the way castle, along with two mule walkers and the Lady Miranda Royce. Lord Nestor's daughter proved to be a short, fleshy woman of an age with Maya Stone, but where Maya was slim and sinewy, Miranda was soft-bodied and sweet-smelling, broad of hip, thick of waist, and extremely buxom. Oh. Her thick chestnut curls framed round red cheeks, a small mouth, and a pair of lively brown eyes. When Robert climbed gingerly from the bucket, she knelt in a patch of snow to kiss his hand and cheeks. My lord, she said, you've grown so big! Oh, she knows how to handle him, immediately yeah. shown, uh, very clear. Also, just like they talk about her round red cheeks, whose cheeks wouldn't be like rosy red out in that cold in the wind and yeah. all that? That's Anyways, true. I just like, I had always like kind of thought maybe she like wears some makeup, but I just now thought I was like, you know, she probably just is, you know, it's a blustery day and all that. But I'm never going to be able to think of her uh, without thinking of that. Her hair is full of secrets line. Chloe, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I like, just because that they really do say her thick chestnut curls like she does have big hair. Yeah. And to be fair, she shares some of those little gossipy secrets with Sansa. Uh, And in return for some of her gossip, Sansa gives her a little bit of her own. She starts to gossip about Maya and Lothor with her theories about Lothor's affection for Maya. Sansa begins to think on how she missed having a friend to gossip with. Well, sorry, we mean Elaine, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we get obviously the the biggest bit of gossip of news that, that she learns is that Jon Snow is Lord Commander. And we get that very oft quoted line. I am a bastard too now, just like him. Oh, it would be so sweet to see him once again. I've Aww. seen that line so many times. I mean, it is a really nice, like, to show that it she is. really does care. But it's, it really is a very popular line. But um, there is a little bit, as much as Elaine Sansa is, is dealing with this this really big news and adjusting to that, uh, Miranda is also getting some interesting news from telling her that. Yeah, Sansa is supposed to be Elaine here, but she she acts almost interested, and she immediately responds, oh, Jon Snow, Ned Stark's bastard? Like, <laughs> Sansa, you're supposed to have grown up in a convent and know nothing about the Night's Watch except for it being in the frigid north. All of Miranda's salacious behaviors in this chapter, they're trying to provoke Sansa into saying something wrong, that one false step. And I mean, she does get her to say something wrong, but then she covers her tracks for her because I don't think she doesn't want her to know that she's been outed to Miranda. So she's like, oh, it would be snow, wouldn't it? As in the bastard in the north, you know, like trying to be like, oh, that's how you know. Not, not like, how do you know his first name? John right. Snow. But she like very well like deflects this. So she, she isn't trying to out herself to her yet. Though. There's no recovering from that one, though. Yeah. No. Yeah. You would think that Elaine would realize that she's messed up here and revealed a little too much, but she's so overwhelmed at the thought of Jon Snow and that her fa- her family still being out there and all of that that she and now she has a friend. <laughs> yeah, and now and that now she has a friend, so she basically doesn't really realize that she she confirmed some things for Miranda right there. Yeah, and the language shows that Miranda's covering because she goes, "Our cousin Bronzion has himself a melee at Winstone," and then it says Miranda went on oblivious. Yeah, and it's like, it points out this idea of oblivious is like mm, she's acting oblivious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh. Sansa fears and admires the very narrow steps that have very much so eroded over the years as she descends the Eyrie and she tries to trust her mule. Yeah, some of the descriptions of 
these steps are so terrifying, especially when they have to get off the mule and, and walk, you know, in particular, like walk alone. Oh, really hard to read, honestly, for me. I'm not even I'm not even particularly scared of heights, but just these like icy, slippery paths. Oh, that sucks. That sucks hard. Yeah. I would not want that. Dude, I'm the person mm -hmm. that eats shit, like, just walking to the Damn. bus in the morning. I'm holding on to all of the fences by me, and I'm like, I'm going to fall, because I do fall. And I'm like, ah, this was so painful. Honestly, you guys told me that I was, like, harsh for wanting to knock Sweet Robin out and bring him down. To be honest, I think they should knock me out and bring me down <laughs> off the mountain. So... I, 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 you know, I'm not really judging him for that. You were just projecting. You were like, I yeah. would want to, I wouldn't want to have to deal with this. I, it's true. As soon as he brought it up as an option, I'm like, oh, is that an option? You can just have someone knock you out and take you up and down. Sounds great. You're the person who, uh, on an airplane, like, takes all takes the all drama mean and stuff yeah. to just pass out for that. I would if riding an airplane was, was at, like, I had to look down at, like, a clear shot down to the ground. Like, you know those airplanes where they have clear floors? Have you ever seen those? No, why would I oh, want what? that? That sounds like... You... Yeah, no. they have airplanes. Like, they're not common, but they have, you know, see-through floors so you can look, like, your feet just to the sky below you. And so, yeah, I would I would dose myself up with some, some drugs if I was on an airplane like that. Yeah. Um, or just not ride that airplane. Yeah. <sighs> Sounds way more expensive anyway. Yes. No, it's definitely um, something that people spend more for. <laughs> well, and if that's not enough, you have a kid having seizures the whole time going down <laughs> this height. Like, that's even worse. Imagine. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. No, really. I, like, I really is my horror. Like, this uh, terrible thought of just like, yeah, him having a seizure and he like freaks out and just pulls Elaine down or pulls whoever's trying to grab him down off the mountain. And uh, anyways, it didn't happen, though. They make it down. Spoiler. They don't <laughs> just fall to their deaths. Uh. And Sansa mm. handles it pretty well. You know, she handles it as best and as calmly as she can. And she's like realizing she she's so familiar now that she can see and anticipate that Robert Aaron's about to have another shaking fit. And she's like, fuck, we need to deal with this. All right. We can't wait for Maya to come back with her mules. And yeah. she seizes the moment. She takes charge. Yeah. yeah. She does. And then Miranda compliments her for this afterwards, saying, you know, oh, you're brave as well as beautiful, right? And, well, first off... So you agree. You think you're really pretty. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That is what's it's happening It's literally there. Mean Girls. That's hilarious. But, you know, it honestly made me think of Sansa, you know thinking about how sweet robin likes to be told how strong he is miranda's like seeing how well she responds to flattery and compliments and all that and pumping her up maybe a little bit of, of actually giving her props because I, I really do think she deserves to be complimented for doing this it's a, a scary thing and she was right to take him across right then and all that but i i am suspicious of her compliments i guess Miranda's oh, yeah. compliments like and both like, I, I feel like one she's maybe trying to get on her good side because she's gonna blow up and politically basically you know Elaine is if she if she, since she's on to start like she's gonna be very important so good to have her like you on the one hand I guess is part of why she might be so complimentary I do think this is something where Miranda's being genuine in that compliment. I think that, yeah. as you said, there is a lot of Miranda trying to get into Sansa's 
sorry, Elaine's good graces. But I do think that she really meant saying that, oh, you're brave as well as beautiful, genuinely. Because, I mean, that yeah. that was a big deal, like, what she yeah. did there. And Sansa does show bravery. Like, throughout this chapter, you we were discussing it before, this idea of Ned's definition of what it means to be brave. And Sansa's doing it throughout here. She's powering through her own fears to take care of herself and, like, the child lord of the eerie and veil yeah and and yeah i mean i think miranda's friendship with sansa with elaine can be built around lies basically just a a web of lies but also be genuine a genuine affection for each other where they where they like each other's company and all of that and have respect for each other and all that Uh, but i do wonder i mean I really want to see that this this reveal between them. I, I yeah, I want them to not have so many lies between them. It's a frenemy relationship. Frenemy. It really <laughs> is. So they again once more get to talk about the winged knight and inspire Robert to make the descent. Uh, and I do love. I know Ashea loves this too, and I think Eliana, you have to love this line. I mean, you can't legally be on this podcast without loving this line. But uh, there's a line in a passage. So the whole passage is up here where the slope was steepest. The steps wound back and forth rather than plunging straight down. Sansa Stark went up the mountain, but Elaine Stone is coming down. It was a strange thought. Coming up, Maya had warned her to keep her eyes on the path ahead, she remembered. Look up, not down, she said, but that was not possible on the descent. I could close my eyes. The mule knows the way. He has no need of me. But that seemed more something Sansa would have done, that frightened girl. Elaine was an older woman and bastard brave. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I, I like all of it, but I love Bastard Brave, particularly. Yes. But uh, I also think it's relatable to me. Well, unrelatable. I don't know how to phrase it exactly. But she thinks about maybe she could just close her eyes during this descent. Decides Lane would not do that as she is Bastard Brave. And I am a bastard, but I totally close my eyes on portions of roller coasters. So I think that if I couldn't get knocked out and brought down the mountain, I would totally close my eyes and just like be hugging my mule for the love of God, just terrified. So I, 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 yeah, she's much, much braver than I am. (laughs) I get that for sure. (laughs) I like how... uh... There are people who talk about who the different people that Sansa's patterning that idea of what bastard brave means. Like, mm. I, where the hell does that even come from? Like, are all bastards brave? I don't know. There's Ramsey Snow. He sucks. And yeah, it was Jon Snow wasn't particularly brave, like, around the house. You know, like, I, I, yeah. I, there's not a lot of things that he did that were bastard brave around Winterfell. Yeah. Though I, there have been people saying that that's who she's patterning it off of, but I guess here she's thinking of it as she's seeing Maya Stone and being like, I'm going to yeah. be like Maya. She's yeah, I think brave. That you're right. Yeah. I, I think that that is the more direct inspiration now that I think about it. Oh, Maya. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. I know. I want th- That should be like the little three like friends thing. You yeah. Know? Like Maya, Miranda, Elaine. Yeah, I agree. They need a, they need a fourth for little foursome because it's always That's four true. for those kind of shows. They'll, they'll they'll get a fourth for sure. That's sex in the nation or sex in the kingdom. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. something sex in the eerie. I don't know. <laughs> there like must that. be one more. What was it? There must be another. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> the show must have four heads. No, obviously, who's the which, which which one's the old lady? Is it Gretchel or Maddie? I always get them confused. Yeah, Gretchel. But the old lady, Gretchel. It'll be Gretchel. Random. <laughs> Maya and Sansa. There we go. Perfect. 
but it is notable, like, and during all this gossip that we get with Miranda, that she does not like Harry the heir. She does not like him. Not she at seems all. Seems very rude about him. And I, I kind of trust her judgment in general, and I already don't get a good feeling about him. So yeah. It really it makes me think that the Royces super support the Robert Aaron faction and not the Harry the Air faction that we kind of see splitting off. Yeah, you think it comes down to just the factionalism, or do you think it is like she just also is thinks he's I, I don't know. I, I just don't trust Harry. I guess. Oh, I don't trust him at all, but I don't think he's going to survive either way. Yeah. I think it's because, A, Harry's obviously kind of a fuckboy. And... Ob. <laughs> Ob. And <laughs> B, she's just like, damn, I can't believe this guy thinks, like, he's better than me. Like, what? I'm not good <laughs> enough to marry? I'm of House Royce, so... Yeah. Yeah, okay, I can see that. A little... I should have a little bit of bitter resentment, whatever, like that, um, as well. Uh, so I was talking about how complimentary Miranda was towards Sansa. And while, like I said, i so suspicious of the meaning of all of that, I also can't not picture it. Like We're talking about these friend groups and friend pairings and all that. I keep picturing Miranda as like a Leslie Nope to Sansa's mm. or Elaine's Ann Perkins or as like an Alana from Broad City to her oh. Abby. Just like just showering her with these compliments. <laughs> yes. I'm just yes i i think more of the alana when i thought about it more i think it's more of an alana to an abby based on how outrageous and sexual miranda is um to how straight laced uh elaine is so yeah that, that's that's my spinoff idea i guess just two gals living at the gates of the moon just know. hanging out just yeah. hanging out <laughs> doing attorneys seeing dick no i don't know this, that's it it's their life if i did I, by Dick, I mean Dick Crab, just to be clear. Alana would have been a good actress to cast for Miranda Royce had that been a thing in the show. I mean, she's really outrageous. She's I still picture a, a, she's Oh, yeah, she does have curls, but you, I, you still want, like, a... a, a, a I mean, she's Sassy. Busty. That's true. She, Alana is busty, but she's not, like, buxom, I guess. And she's not, like, that femininity that Miranda Royce seems yes, to kind of have. Yes. She has this femininity yeah. attached yeah. to her. yeah. When I hear her, again, I've made multiple Sex and the City references, and I don't know how well you can, like, hear their voices in your head, but I basically hear Samantha from Sex and the City. Even though her name is Miranda, I hear that, like, Kim Cattrall, like, drawl that she has where everything is, like, very sexy, innuendo type thing. That's yeah. my voice from Miranda Royce. There's this passage from Miranda. Maybe you should do your Miranda voice for it, Ashaya. Oh, I don't what know do you if think? I, I don't think I can do that voice. I don't think I oh. have that. You don't that have a buxom, gravitas. sassy, I, gossipy. Yeah, no, voice. I don't have like. I don't have. I don't know about that voice, but uh, no, I don't. Seduce think I have me, Ashaya. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> this is so embarrassing because I really can't do it justice to what I hear in my head at all. I'm not really going to be trying, but I'm going to do the voice. I think you should try. Okay, I think so. We all know how devoted he was to Lady Lysa, said Miranda. But he cannot mourn forever. He needs a pretty young wife to wash away his grief. I imagine he could have his pick of half the noble maidens in the Vale. Who could be a better husband than our own bold Lord Protector? Though, I do wish he had a better name than Littlefinger. How little is it, do you know? What a sassy question. No. Oh, my yeah. God. How little is it? And then, of course, it just flusters her Im immensely. 
As well, it would. I mean, it would fluster anyone. Like, I mean, especially this is really, really gives it away that she's not talking to his daughter. That yeah. she knows this because I don't think she would ask his daughter about his penis. Yeah, who does really that? Don't. And that really <laughs> says like that whole Royce faction is sitting there going, ah, so is the Stark girl fucking him or what's going on? Yeah, here? exactly. Like, that's she all starts off, Exactly. She starts off asking if she's still innocent, and then and you know basically gets to the end of it and asks more directly about what it looks like. Well, and there's also differing things in her story there, too, because Peter's story, he tells everyone, is that his natural daughter got bored and she flowered one day and she realized she didn't want to be a celibate old crone. So she wanted to go see the world and she should be full of life and flirting and happy, which we see her embody in the Elaine one wins a winter chapter a little more. But, uh, you know, Miranda here is poking at her and trying to be like, okay, are you kind of, are you into sex? Are you banging Littlefinger? Are you doing this? You know who Jon <laughs> Snow is? Like, this is obviously not... Elaine. <laughs> yeah. A, she's asking because of that. And then you can tell there's a couple of things going on here because she's like, who would be a better husband than our own bold Lord Protector? Literally anyone. Anybody. Everyone. Like all of them. <laughs> and she does Get the same thing when she's talking about Liza earlier and she, when Sans was like, it was wise of Liza to keep us out of the war. And Miranda's like, yeah, Liza, the very soul of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> And okay, I'm gonna throw this crazy idea out there. You, I see it in the document. It really blew my mind. I never once read it like this, and I, it, I think you might not be wrong. Anyways, I'm just—it's a crazy, wild idea. But we know that Nestor Royce is kind of trying to rise above his station, right? And that Miranda's his daughter, and clearly much smarter when it comes to some of these, like picking things out. Maybe trying to rise above her station as well. If she was trying to marry Harry the heir, what if Miranda tries to seduce or like broker a marriage with Littlefinger, or like yeah, no. even if she just attempts to seduce him in general, she would probably be highly unsuccessful because you know she's not thirteen-year-old Catelyn Stark. Yeah, no, I think she probably <laughs> would be unsuccessful. I, I don't think Littlefinger would marry her. I guess it could play. He could find a way that it would ma- make sense for his plans. But I really, my mind was blown by you writing that. I really had never considered that. But I, I feel like that has to be a consideration of Miranda's. Like she has to be thinking that I, I'm unmarried. He's unmarried. He's powerful. I could be more powerful. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe she realizes she's like maybe I could be more powerful but I'll be dead, I'll be killed, or he won't go for it, or all these things that mean that it won't work. But I, I would like to see that play out. Yeah, be like Arianne trying to... Because we see... we It's obvious, like, Arianne's probably going to try to seduce John Connington or something at first, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. or Because, like, she thought about it. She's like, I wonder what, what kind of woman John likes. Uh, yeah, yeah. The kind that's not. So Yeah, the kind that's not. The kind that's not. <laughs> Rhaegar, that's who. Yes. That's the kind of Rhaegar. I love that too, though. It's very much like Cersei with her whole uh, Stannis in A Clash of Kings that, you know, any other man I could have hoped to seduce, but not Stannis. Yeah, Miranda very much uses that uh, w- woman's weapon. She definitely has that training that we've talked about. Yeah, she does. So they finally cross the very last gorge, and we get this really cool passage. Okay, this, oh, yeah, this is the one that terrified me that I was talking about. Ugh. Yes, this is uh, right after, of course, more uh, artist Aaron kind of yeah. exposition to give Sweet Robin some bravery. Sir Sweet Robin, Lord Robert said, and Elaine knew that she dare not wait for Maya to return. She helped the boy dismount, and hand in hand, they walked out onto the bare stone saddle. 
their cloaks snapping and flapping behind them. All around was empty air and sky, the ground falling away sharply to either side. There was ice underfoot and broken stones just waiting to turn an ankle, and the wind was howling fiercely. It sounds like a ghost, thought Sansa, a ghost wolf, big as mountains. Yeah. Ghost, eh? A ghost wolf. Oh! Ow! I'm so glad John Snow! But no, the thing that got me about that quote that really scared me, honestly, was two things. Was one, to talk about their cloaks snapping and I know. flapping behind them. I'm like picturing how tiny and light Sweet Robin must be, and like just picturing like his cloak just like picking him up within the breeze anyways and just pulling him off whatever but then you have there was ice underfoot and broken stones just waiting to turn an ankle just uh, uh just really terrifying i twist my ankle all the time like the other day i was walking on the sidewalk here in philly and i twisted my ankle like just walking oh, okay. um, yeah. yeah so like that's just normal for me no snow so uh, i'm just and saying you probably got some good shoes on too and what kind of shoes are they wearing in westeros yeah probably not very good some doe skin flats yeah, some boots. I don't know what boots they have. They don't have rubber. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. I do wonder how well, like how well protected their their shoes are from the wet and cold. Now that I think about it, I'm sure you know, there's technologies existed for there to be like, you know, whatever otter skin. No, I don't know. You know, like stuff like that. Yeah, there's certain animals that reflect it more. Regarding the cloaks fl- snapping and flapping, I get the image of. Do you remember that? small video of Kit Harrington flapping yeah. his cloak yeah. on where they were doing You're Dragonstone right. and then they turned it into a meme and then he like takes off into the air and that's what I see when I think of like Targaryen okay you made this flapping. a lot less scary to me now because I can just picture a sweet Robin just like a little Robin he oh. flies into the air with his cloak a little borb <laughs> yeah okay good uh. it's still dangerous so they get down to the veil, and Elaine's now like, I'm so glad that we are here. I'm ready to get into this bed. She's going to get in Miranda's bed. Miranda invites her to join her in bed, too, for some pillow talk. Yeah. Oh, ooh, she makes a jab. She's like, I don't like maidens who have cold feet. And I do think, this was pointed out by um, mm. Fat Walda and uh, Mighty Isabel, and I forgot who else was on that episode of Maester Monthly, that it could be about how... Sansa has just run from her marriage from Tyrion. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I like that. But she's like super excited to go into bed, which like, yeah, I understand this feeling. And the next thing you know, <laughs> she's and she's like looking forward to waking up in the morning. She's like, This castle's gonna be so great and lively and I'm about to go into this feather bed for the first time. It's gonna be awesome, but oh, now I have to go deal with like my quote unquote dad. Oh uh, yeah. buzzkill. He's apparently yeah. here and waiting uh. for her. Yeah, Ugh, that's all. I, that's my only word for this section. It's just ugh. I don't know. It's gross. Yeah, like first thing when he sees her, he's like, "Oh, maybe my daughter should give me a kiss." This is why people are asking Sansa weird things. Okay, Little yeah. Finger, like you idiot. blink twice if you're okay. Sansa stares <laughs> like- into camera, does not blink. <laughs> <laughs> I am a lady now. <laughs> But yeah, his little finger makes this whole comment. He's like about her kissing him better the second time because it's like actually like a sexual, you know, not just like a, a, a kiss a daughter would give a father. Yeah. And I'm like, really, little finger, really? You think she should have given you that kiss in front of these three hedge knights, Byron, Morgarth, and Shadrick? Like, I, I don't think so. I, I don't know what. I, I I guess he just liked the line. I, I well, he's, obviously he can't be genuine that he thinks that he, she should kiss him like that in front of them. Yeah, and it's like it's gross. It's like he's almost showing them like you can't have her she's my property 
but while demeaning her and like tying her to him at the same time. Yeah. It's really gross. <sighs> and of course, Shadrich shows up, like you said, which he has made his way to the pages of Sansa's plot right off of Brienne's plot. Uh, and yeah. I think that's really going to play off in the winds of winter. I think, uh, I think he's probably going to try to get some gold from taking her and fail. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is, uh, he is the Mad Mouse and who helped Cinderella, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's why I keep you around, Eliana. <laughs> yeah. That and puns about the eerie. <laughs> that was that's not why loved, I keep you, you around. You loved it. I you loved it. That's not true. I loved it. Oh you God. loved it. This is not true. <laughs> so Littlefinger goes through. He gives us this big lowdown on what's going on in King's Landing. And it's a shit show, as we know, because Cersei is a little incompetent, right? Just a little. How did Littlefinger think that it would take her four or five years? Like, I don't know how he thought this wouldn't just implode imminently. I don't know. That was some bad judgment. Yeah. He knows Cersei. Like, he knows her. I don't know. It's obviously, like, a jab at George, right? And the the five-year gap. The five years. Yeah, that's true. I had hoped to have four or five quiet years to plant some seeds and allow some fruits to ripen. But now, it is a good thing that I thrive on chaos. Okay, Edgelord. (laughs) What is that shit? Chaos is a ladder! (laughs) Yeah, obviously George was going to do a five-year gap, but I will say, George, you have had four or five not-so-quiet years Ooh. to write these books. Oh, whoa, uh, a call-out. Wow, wow. We have. Wow. Ashea's wow. out here. Settle down, Ashea. wilding out. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is more meant to, actually. Like, I, I don't think he was calling himself out for his time, his, his time spent writing, but exactly that five-year gap thing. Do you think George thinks he drives on chaos? <laughs> <laughs> does, does George see himself in Littlefinger? Oh my god, stop. Does he? I, I hope, hope he's not. I hope not too. <laughs> no TP. Littlefinger says that this peace is not going to hold during this War of the Three Queens, which Sansa is confused about what and who he means. He then says he brought Sansa a gift from Goldtown, and at first she's like, is it jewels or a dress? Or better, is it lemons? Same. You know, like. Is it lemons? <laughs> And Littlefinger does get her lemons eventually. True, True. <laughs> he does. He tears out the veil for her. He's like, "Will this get me laid?" I know. Littlefinger's like, "No, I got you. Even better than all these things, I got you a husband." So it's like, what? I literally I have uh, like several. I'm like married. 80. Yeah. yeah. I literally never asked for this. Literally, no one wanted this. I'm single and ready to mingle. What are you talking about? <laughs> She's like, actually, I'm not. I'm already married. And Littlefinger's like, no, no, no. That's Ned Stark's daughter who's married to Tyrion Lannister. Not my daughter, Elaine. This could only get better, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. I think the one thing that we really need to top it all off is another villain monologue. And this time it's about Lady Anya Wainwood and Harry the Heir, which everyone's like, whoa, I can't believe he- they showed up to that wedding. And... Because there's nothing more in the world that Littlefinger loves than hearing the sound of his own voice and forcing Sansa to listen to him. He's all like, I'm going to explain everything to you. And I'm just going to give everyone the abridged version, all right? You can all read the whole, like, spiel. Or 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 Ashea can go through everything, or Chloe can go through everything of how this works. But Harry isn't Anya Wainwood's heir. He's heir to the Eerie. He's the heir airy. If you will. The red herring? Harry, <laughs> Harry the Airy. The, the, the 
heir apparent. Yeah. The red herring apparent. apparent. <laughs> yeah, this is like Littlefinger's <laughs> penultimate villain monologue in A Feast for Crows. It's his his I want speech, but it isn't really what he wants because this plan is to rally the Vale to her side. And Harry's probably going to suffer an accident at another's hand or sword, in my opinion. I think it's going to be Lynn Corbray, possibly. And then Littlefinger thinks he's going to swoop in and marry her now that the veil is going on her side, which is, like, obviously not going to happen yeah. because the villain's not going to win. He won't get to marry Penelope Pitstop and fiddle his mustache. Like, that's not it's not what's going to happen. But he gives <laughs> this big monologue, and basically in the end, it comes down to the Wayne Woods having the Aaron blood left over and figuring out who actually has that blood of secession, which is something that we've talked about a lot lately with Dance of the Dragons. Interesting that it comes right down to Harry being the heir, and she is going to marry him just after she got done finding out her new BFF, her best friend slash frenemy, uh, Miranda, wanted him and couldn't have him. And that he has some kids, a couple of bastards. Mm -hmm. Obviously, she, she parrots this back to Littlefinger, like the gossip that she learned, you know, it shows that, you know, she's learning stuff. But she just like says it. And he's like, yeah, of course, yeah, he's a couple of kids, just not just the one. Yeah, keep up all that. Um, but, uh, the big ending to his, his thought is that he wants another kiss from her. He's like, well, isn't that worth another kiss? Ugh. And, oh, uh, uh, no, I it's hope that not. other, that other kiss should be after he does all of this. You don't get another kiss until this has all happened. Little finger. Gross. You gotta, this marriage has to happen. It, and then it reminds me of another line from a famed woman in our story that we've read that love is sweet, but it cannot change a man's nature. About Harry the heir. Harry the heir has some major Robert Baratheon mm -hmm, vibes yeah. going on there. Oh, definitely. Two bastards yeah. already. Two, yeah, two already. How, how old is he even? Like, early 20s? Probably 19, 20. You know, they start humping whenever they can these 19, days. 19, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Regarding that whole succession thing that you are talking about, Chloe, there is, like... You can definitely see Littlefinger's kind of thought this thing through, though, because they're all, like... We have people like the Royces who are honor-bound and stuff, and they're like, yeah, they're supporting Robert Aaron, as you all were talking about. And they're all like, but Harry, the heir, you know, he's he's like strong and like a knight, and people think he's so cool and stuff, and people want to support someone like him. It's like what happened, not just in the dance, it's like what happened in the Blackfire Rebellion. They're like, well, that guy, that guy can fight and stuff. We should make him king. But still, do you think, I mean, does Littlefinger honestly, like, in a, deep down think that he can have this power, that anyone's ever going to respect him? He just doesn't have the the family history for them to for him to pull it off, even if he, like, eases people into it, which you could think is maybe his plan. That, like, you go from Robert to Harry, so then Littlefinger's just basically ruling, you know, or, or you know, or wherever else he's ruling. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. Well, it all comes back to the very beginning when he says to Sansa that, you know, even pawns can have will of their own. They can move, but he doesn't realize it's going to be about Sansa and that's going to take down his entire plan that he has going on. Yeah, I think he thinks to an extent that Harry might be a dumb jock or just might not be a strong leader as he 
thinks he should be, right? But even if, if he's gonna kill, but if he's gonna kill Harry, then who's gonna rule after? You think that he's trying to set it up for Sansa with like her little son that he's having? I don't like. I, I honestly, I don't completely understand Littlefinger's end game in terms of the actual feasibility for him. Like he has some grand yeah. ambitions, and I just don't think that it can really happen for him. Even disregarding like the others coming and all this other, you know, stuff that's going on that's gonna throw a monkey wrench into things like. If things were just normal, I don't think he could, his plan could succeed. I think the biggest thing that it really depends on is Sansa. That's the biggest variable. And the Vale all wanted to be in the war for the Starks, yeah. right? So they wanted to go to war and Liza wouldn't let them. So they had to sit there at home feeling like the assholes. And then you have Ned Stark growing up in the Vale. Valiant Ned's precious little girl, yes. right, is in the Vale, and she has suffered these horrors from the Lannisters and these horrors from Littlefinger even. And in the end, you know, if Harry dies, and Sweet, I don't think Sweet Robin's going to die as early as everybody mm-hmm. thinks. I think he's going to hold out a little longer. Uh, I don't think he's going to die. But, you know, after she relays all these atrocities and she rallies the Vale bannermen to help take Winterfell back, I mean, the Vale might follow the North instead of the crown. Oh, yeah, I guess obviously. if he thinks it's all, yeah, obviously yeah, he thinks it's all big That's there. what I think. I guess really it banks on him thinking she'll have enough clout that if she says, you know, Littlefinger's good and he's going to be my husband, that everyone will follow exactly. in line just based on her blood and all that. But again, he's exactly. just crazy. He's, it's not going to happen, Littlefinger. That's the thing. No one would ever follow Littlefinger. Dream smaller. <laughs> Uh, he just needs to dream smaller. Like, he yeah. could have success if he just stayed at a lower station. But that's what happens. Men dream too big, and we know what happens then. <laughs> Off with their heads. He's just like, we're going to wild card it, figure out what happens <laughs> afterwards, because he's all like, chaos. I thought yeah. I bought chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Littlefinger. Uh, hmm. Man, that was a chapter, though. It's really a good chapter. It's so much going on. It really is. So much setup. And it ends on such like a, a, a build up cliffhanger, like, what comes next? Oh man, we don't know. We have to wait till the winds of winter. Does Littlefinger kiss her? That's the big question. Stop. <laughs> I think he does. I hope not. It just Stop. picks up from the first chapter. It's like, and little, he kissed her. That, that's where it starts. No cliffhanger. <sighs> Get a job. Yeah, he's just bumming yeah. off of Sansa's name. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody does this. All they do, everybody just takes her claim. Well, guess what, bitches? She's gonna take her claim. So suck on that. <laughs> yeah. Suck on your little finger, little finger. Uh, Get a job. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my god. This was great. This was fun. Yeah. I, I'm really excited for our Patreon episode now. This month. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, Ashaya, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey. Do you want to talk about what you guys have coming up next for History of Westeros? I know you guys have been doing a lot of streams, uh, a lot of fun stuff, but I know you guys work on your actual episodes too. So Yeah, right now I'm smack dab in the middle of the video editing for our next full episode, scripted episode, which is on Gagasos. Ooh. Our, our, Ooh. Yes, that should be quite fun. Our next fully scripted episode will be Bloodraven Part 3, which is really just like about the Three-Eyed Crow. You know, it's really about its own thing, Blood Ravens 1 and 2 were about him as a politicker and spy master and all that sort of thing. 
thing. This yeah. is him up at the wall and as as um the last green as the green seer. So we've got that coming up, but as you said, we've been doing regular fire and blood streams every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And that will continue. I'm on it sometimes, sometimes I'm not. We've had <laughs> some cool guests, uh, like yours truly there. Um I said that wrong, but it's okay. Yeah. Whatever. I'm it's been, it's been like two hours. I'm it can be expected that I'm a little We use the brains. Yeah, up I used already. it all it's up. Cool. I, I no cool. talk good anymore. <laughs> but um so yeah, Blood Raven, Gagasos, Fire and Blood. Eventually we're gonna segue back into some Game of Thrones TV coverage towards early April or late um, oh March. yeah, that's yeah, happening. We should have our exact date in a couple. Of, when this is out, everyone will know the Actually, date. Actually, soon. Soon yeah. we'll know. Yeah, yeah, we'll find out. And I do. I think hopefully we will all be watching the premiere together at Ice and Fire oh. Con next yes, year. Yes, I think this so year. too. I'm really excited. I for know. That. I think so. Yeah. So, anyways, that's that's basically what's new with me. Just um, fire and blood coverage for the most part. Yeah. And, of course, we all will be at uh, Ice and Fire Con this year. It's the last weekend of April, so make sure to check it out. Uh, if you haven't ever been, it's really fun. It's in Ohio in the States, uh, about 40 minutes out from the Columbus Airport. Beautiful on a gorgeous uh, gorgeous park and just gorgeous water it all national over. national park. It's so lovely. Yeah, this state park. <sighs> so cool. It's so cool. You can actually get $5 off if you use my code, which is drunk, or if you use Ashea's code, which is history, yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. Does Eliana, do you got you guys don't have one for Girls Gone Canon? You don't have one? We didn't do it in time, no. Well, I don't think I need one, right? I have Chloe here, and she's, like, literally the thing. <laughs> the thing. She's the thing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, we started too late this year. Maybe next year. Maybe next year you'll be able to use Canon. Okay, cool. We'll you guys should have it. I would I would <laughs> feel like, I mean, I guess you're already like, what code are you going to pump up then, Chloe? Yeah, it'll be hard for you to decide. You'll yeah. Yes, just pick one. I mean, Maybe. I'm sometimes drunk too. That's as Chloe says. That's our our origin exactly. story, you know? We <laughs> met on well, that's not what whatever. Well, we don't want to leave this episode high and dry. We do have something pretty pretty exciting to announce. This is the last Sansa chapter. We will have a Patreon episode coming out within the next two weeks for Elaine 1 in the Winds of Winter. So check that out. $5 and up patrons at uh, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. But Eliana, I think we have something more exciting to announce. <laughs> yeah, you guys, we're going to do our next POV. Elaine, Elaine. Uh, no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> our next POV is everyone's favorite sad boy. Theon Greyjoy. Oh, I did the I did it wrong. There, there must be a term for like a squid baby. A baby you know? squid? A squidling? No, there has a to squidlet. be one. Yes. There has to be one though, yeah. Our squidlet, Theon Greyjoy. Theon, okay, Theon and Sounds are two of my favorite characters and POVs in like Song of Ice and Fire because I, yeah, I just like sad things, I guess. But um, I, it's not really a great term when I look it up. But I find it says a paralarvae. A paralarvae, <laughs> my sad paralarvae. <laughs> That's the hatchling for all baby octop octopi and squids. Wow. Anyways, for the baby, I just looked it up. What's a baby squid? I love Anyways. my paralarvae. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to do the Theon chapters. Me too. It's, so it's going to be so sad. I can't wait. It's going to be like really cocky for like four episodes, five episodes, and then it's sad. Just really sad. Actually, yeah. like fewer than that. The Anyways, just sad. I'm so excited to get sad. It's like the bass is going to drop. <laughs>
That's how it works. Well, as always, you guys, thanks again, Ashea, for joining us. You guys, you can find us on social media as Girls Gone Canon on Twitter. And you can also send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And of course, keep up with us. Subscribe to us on things such as iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, where we upload everything, on ACAST, Stitcher, and now even on Spotify. I don't know why I keep saying now. We've been on Spotify LinkedIn. the past few weeks. Oh, we should be on LinkedIn. <laughs> Taking you to more canon uh, heights than ever before. As always, I am Chloe. You can find me on the internet as Lies and Arbor or at www.liesandarborgold.com. And I'm Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl, on the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit or on the Maester Monthly podcast, which should have a new episode out that just came out this week. Uh, thanks, guys. As always, you guys, I'm Jeff Hartline. And I'm Emmett Booth. And I'm Aziz Aldori. <laughs> Have a great day. <laughs> he just went back in the bedroom. Or should we do the, the History of Westeros one? Yeah. <laughs> An all acapella version of these songs. It's going to be our the next big thing is acapella groups within a Song of Ice and Fire fan bro, 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 Please, bro, bro. George, give us this book. <laughs> the Songs of Ice and Fire. Yeah.